Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Content that we can put out from the digital marketing perspective, as well as webinars that are just, you know, zero dollar uh, in cost, were going to be the main drivers for us back then. Today, I am joined by Xuan Liao. Xuan built her company for zero dollars to exit all on the back of a rock solid SEO strategy. You heard me. Schwinn joined this company, Raboyo, and she helped them grow from $0 to an exit where they got bought by another company, all on the back of a rock solid SEO strategy. I have met many CMOs, as you know, if you've been listening to the show for the last four years, and I've definitely met some people who believe in SEO, but none that solely depended depended on it. This is fascinating. It's a fascinating conversation that I have with Schwinn where she really lays out how she did it and the important pieces you need to make it happen and the consistency you need to do it and how to stay on top of it. Because that's a tricky piece with SEO, especially as the industry continues to change. You need to change with it. Not not just how Google changes their algorithms, that's part of it for sure, and how the SEO industry changes, but how your own industry changes in the way that people come to find your product that's going to help with the specific problem that they're having. Uh, If it's a keyword strategy, right? The keywords you use today aren't necessarily the keywords you need tomorrow. And if SEO takes time, how do you stay on top of that? And Schwinn tells you exactly how to stay on top of it. Before we get to the conversation, a little bit about Schwinn Liao. She is a strong believer in passion, persistence, and continuous growth. Three of the essential drivers in both for her personal and professional life. With a multicultural and entrepreneurial background and vast professional experience working in international organizations, she has built a unique profile that caters to fast-paced, rapid-growth global enterprises. Her core expertise involves B2B marketing with a heavy emphasis on the technology domain. I hope you're sitting down with a pen and a notebook or a laptop and a keyboard. You're going to want to take notes for this. It's just action-packed with tips back to back to back on how Schwinn did this. Fascinating. Fascinating. Hang on to your hats. Here we go. Let's take a listen. Shwen, thank you for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Thank you so much for having me, Carrie. I'm so excited to have you. Before we jump in, tell us your story, Shwen. What do you do and how did you get there? Right. Um, so I am currently the American CMO for Roboyo. We are the largest intelligent automation services provider in the world. Um, we specialize in providing consulting, implementation, and managed services for intelligent automation technologies. So, uh, you know, so some of them will be robotic process automation, uh, intelligent document processing, process mining, conversational AI, uh, business process management, just to name a few. Uh, but many of those technologies that are just accelerating the digital transformation of organizations, um, you know, really across industries and across geographies. Um, and helping our clients adapt to, you know, the future of work with the human plus mindset where, you know, we can truly empower our uh, human talent with the digital assistance um, to, you know, minimize any sort of a high volume um, 
high volume, mundane, repetitive, mm. and just those manually intensive work. Um, so in essence, we're trying to take the robot out of the human <laughs> and we're trying to allow our workforce to focus on higher value strategic work that would drive transformation for the business. That sounds so counterintuitive. Um, I like want to hang out there for a second because my, my brain can't help itself, but be curious. But before we get there, how did you get here though? What, what were you doing? Did you set out to be a marketer? Or did you happen to become a marketer? What's your story? Yeah, so a little bit about my background, right? So I actually started my career as a marketing intern in Novartis, which is a Swiss pharmaceutical. And um, I actually, so I'm originally from China, but I grew up in Colombia. So my first, I guess, the professional experience uh, was in Colombia right uh, right out of school. And um, so I started my career in marketing as an intern in the, um, in the pharmaceutical industry. I quickly kind of um, climbed the ladder there to, uh, and with the goal to become a marketing product manager. But uh, to be uh, in that position, I also needed to have the field training. So I got my experience in sales as a pharmaceutical sales rep. Uh, quite an interesting experience, I must say. <laughs> but it definitely you know, teaches you a lot uh, on you know, just how hard sales can be. Um, yeah so you know that's kind of uh, how I my career started and then I I moved to the U.S. I took a global internship opportunity to come to the U.S. and I joined uh, uh, IT consulting firm so that was my first dive into the technology industry Um, and funny enough I joined as a UPK developer which was a is a you know it's a really simple technology that you basically create content for like technical writing instructions for Oracle applications. Um, and obviously I really didn't have any technical talent. The reason they hired me was because of the languages that mm-hmm. I had and they needed to translate a lot of those, the content that we create on UPK to like Chinese, Spanish and, and English. So I was, I guess, kind of the, the right profile that they were looking for. So uh, a few months after I joined uh, in the UPK developer role, um, I was able to transition to a marketing role as, a, as an uh, opening um, kind of appear just right on time for the, the marketing uh, department. So I quickly migrated to marketing on the, on the IT industry and uh, learned my way across, you know, digital marketing, what is lead generation, mm-hmm. why, why is SEO important, uh, you know, social media, et cetera, et cetera. So that was kind of my first dive into the, the marketing in the technology industry. Um, now, fast forward, <laughs> I, uh, back in 2018, middle of 2018, you know, um, we are starting to see some of my partners and I started to see the transformational potential that, you know, robotic process automation would bring to organizations and just how fast it would grow to become a commodity in the coming years. So in early 2019, um, we co-founded Jolt with four of my business partners. And it was uh, completely a bootstrap um, startup. You know, we didn't have any external investor funding. So um, many of us had to wear multiple hats and cater to different sides of the business. And so in essence, I was a, a one woman band for Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also had to lead HR in recruitment, which uh, was quite a hefty task due to yeah. the nature of the consulting business and just how much work it relies on staffing as well as recruitment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but on the on the marketing side i um you know i work with the designer who funny enough was the wife of one of our co-founders because we didn't have enough budget to hire actually a mm-hmm. designer and uh, i work with her and a web developer from romania who i hired up of uh, upwork and you know, together the three of us you know we were to launch a brand new website uh in early 2019 um, we didn't really have any budget whatsoever apart from the investments that we made uh, in the CRM, uh, which in that case was HubSpot, and uh, ZoomInfo as our database. And you know, I, I knew back then I couldn't rely on ads to boost our domain authority or the website traffic. So I, I really had to get creative and resourceful in order to you know, drive the organic growth. Uh, and not fall behind the competitors who had a sizable marketing budget. And, you know, from my experience in the the previous companies that I worked at, I knew the importance of content and how content would drive organic traffic and lead generation. Um, So due to the lack of budget on ads or anything else that we can put up back then, I made sure to um, do my own research <laughs> and uh, write all of the, the organic content on my own, design them on Canva. Um, so because I didn't have any in-house designers, so I just had to, you know, kind of leverage whatever tool sets available to me with the, the very, very basic design skills that I had. <laughs> um, and I would just publish weekly digital content, you know, that could be in the shape of blogs or white papers, eBooks, um, infographics, and we would do monthly webinars as well. And, you know, I also learned how to, how to use uh, video editing tools to create um, explainers and demo videos, which I knew would drive traffic based on just the educational angle of the content versus, you know, the sales pitchy marketing stuff that we typically see out there. Um, so that's kind of how I started the marketing at Jolt Advantage Group. And I was able to hire my first marketing team member in mid-2020. And from there, our, our content volume really escalated. And obviously, the quality of the content also escalated because I don't think that the content that I designed on Canva was the best looking or the <laughs> videos that I you know, edited in uh, Camtasia was the most professional looking. So you know, having someone in the team that had the specialized uh, design and videos, uh, video editing skills was really a huge boost to the the volume and the quality of the content that we were publishing on the Jolt website. Um, so, whew, yeah. yeah, I know. No, no, this <laughs> you're 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 skipping ahead here, Chuan. You're skipping ahead because we are yeah. going to get into all of this beautiful, wow, um, <laughs> depths of what you've covered. But I love, I just love your story and what you've even before you got to co-founding the company Jolt all that you're sort of this hybrid of marketing, development, sales, sort of mixture of things that I feel like helped you come into Joel in a a really powerful way. Do you feel like those three things sort of came together for you or Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the experience that I had gathered from the previous organizations, especially working uh, from the marketing side in the IT industry, I learned just, first of all, we cannot rely on our consultants or our technical experts to write the content for for us. (laughs) And most often, you know, what I will see from some of my other, uh, other marketing folks that I've worked with is that they would just 
you know, sit and wait until somebody would deliver them the content and then they would make it ready and publish it. And oh, that gosh. just really kind of slow down, right? The, the content yeah. cycle. Uh, so while I knew that I couldn't walk the walk, I could learn how to talk the talk. And so I, I could learn with just the, the materials from our proposals, the white papers that initially existed in the organization to just know more about the technology and how we should be positioning that in the educational content that we create. So why I cannot build a technical demo on my own, I can absolutely do you know, the end-to-end work on creating a piece of content and being able to publish it uh, you know, for the website. So I think yeah. that's really you know, having the understanding and the skill sets that not really is tied into just marketing. It's important for you know, folks on any industry, right? Like you have to know, have the industry knowledge in order to create impactful content for marketing. Yeah, and to know how your audience, I mean, from a sales perspective, to be out there talking to your audience of how that content is landing. I think you've just happened to have like the best of all worlds, which not everybody gets to have, like this front receipt. It's pretty amazing. Very fortunate, absolutely, with my background. So, and and that's very, very good point that I think I would like to highlight. I think one of the key things that uh, of the way that I work is that I would never want marketing to work as a silo team to make things pretty and versus working together with sales as a revenue team. That means that marketing is not only involved in just creating the, you know, the branding content and generating top of the funnel leads. We're actually very much uh, embedded in the sales cycle uh, to make sure that we are creating specific content to, that caters to our clients' interests during the sales cycle in order to get the revenue at the end. So marketing, I think it's very important for marketing um, professionals to also be very much exposed to the sales cycles and be part of the, you know, some of the sales presentations, client facing opportunities, just so they can have the understanding of the boots on the ground versus just, you know, designing and making things, uh, creating digital teams on the, on the website. And yes, yes, that. Before we dive into the the heart of our conversation, which is where you were leading, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, quick question for you, Schwen. In terms of what you're facing right now, and and we're going to get into a lot of what you're doing right now, which is great. But before we get there, in terms of just what you're doing right now, what challenge? What's one challenge you're currently facing? Like something that's keeping you up at night, that's making it hard for you. Mm-hmm. That, that's in your way that you're like, ah, I just need to solve this problem. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there's many challenges, that I can <laughs> but the one that really keeps me up at night um, is email deliverability and getting folks to sign up for the men generation events that we're hosting, you know, whether that's virtual or in person as, you know, as I think in the B2B sphere, which is highly competitive in our industry, mm-hmm. Our typical target audience, our typical ideal customer profiles are getting bombarded with cold emails and outbound prospecting activities that it's getting harder and harder to stand out amongst the dozens of marketing emails that our audience will receive on a daily basis, right? Oftentimes Mm -hmm. we have similar call to actions uh, to attend to a webinar or attend to an in-person event. Um, And honestly, I just feel that folks are also getting webinar out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I think I myself cannot sit through another hour long webinar. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think we're seeing a huge dropout uh, of the registrants um, 
you know, th that sign up for webinar to the live attendees. And um, I think folks are just preferring to see the on-demand recording versus mm -hmm. attending live session, which really kind of takes away the actual traction or the sales traction that we will get uh, and the volume of sales leads that we can hand to, um, you know, to convert for to revenue. So it's, it's a tricky arena right now to navigate mm -hmm. nowadays in regards to email deliverability and the performance of the emails that we send out because it's, it's uh, really one of the, the biggest weapons that we have in the, in the marketing arsenal, right? Uh, email, I think many say that email is, some, you know, is, is decreasing in, in, the, in performance, in, um, in kind of the, the results that it's driving versus the previous years where people were just used to sending out tens of thousands of, <laughs> of emails on a daily basis and really not get punished at all in the, you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's kind of... I said a lot, but I, you know, the main thing is just the, the email side that we're sending out emails, but the the engagement levels are absolutely dropping as you know as the the year goes by. We're seeing yeah. month after month that performance is dropping, and we're hard, having a harder time to drive folks to you know take action. I gotta say, we're seeing it too, and we don't have a huge newsletter volume, but it definitely sort of feels like it fell off a cliff, which. Yeah, it, it's hard, but are you thinking about, and I'm not looking for like stone cold solutions here and you figured out the world, but just out of curiosity, are you thinking about pivoting? Are you thinking about what comes next or are you figuring out how to make this work? What's sort of your approach right. to the problem? Um, I'm in the middle of trying to figure this whole thing out. <laughs> I am navigating different uh, potential solutions and vendors out there that will allow us to figure out uh, email optimization uh, methodologies. Because mm -hmm. I, I remember back in 20, I think 2020, I had my first abuse desk ticket <laughs> from HubSpot, <laughs> which is was someone that, you know, saw one of our uh, emails and he did not subscribe back then. And so he went to HubSpot and created, um, you know, um, an abuse ticket and that went back to us and I was like oh my god okay nowadays I would not I would not risk being you know banned from the CRM if you were not allowed to send any sort of cold email right so I had to pivot back then and kind of just go out and figure out what do I do if I'm not able to send out uh, cold emails from the CRM platform and what does it mean to send cold emails uh, you know from the the outbound perspective using our own server, what are the different um, key factors that drives email deliverability, which is, you know, there's, I learned about IP uh, warming or domain warming, um, making sure that the, the DKMIM, that there's so many like those technical terms that you need to make sure IT set it up correctly on the domain side that would not hurt your reputation moving forward. So that's one aspect of email deliverability, right? And on the yeah. other side, um, when you're sending emails um, from a CRM or a marketing automation platform, you're most of the time sharing the IP and the server with multiple other tenants. Um, so it's really not, uh, you know, a kind of like a one-shot solution for it all because half of it is the, the health of the email uh, domain uh, and the other one is the health of the server and the IP where you're sending the emails. So, as you know, we're trying to just kind of piece everything together right now and understand and doing like a few tests in regards to, 
um, you know, the C list that we can test out and see where are we doing, uh, how much inbox placement we're having and which uh, email provider are, you know, uh, we're having the most difficult time getting through, which are the filter companies, because we're not only looking at just the email providers, right? Uh, by email providers, I mean the, you know, the Google uh, business suites, the, the Outlook, uh, 365 and a few others uh, from the B2B side, but then most enterprise organizations will also have a number of filter uh, companies that they hire to generate that you know, additional filter and make sure that they don't get bombarded every day with marketing emails that are irrelevant to them. Um, so that's a lot of moving pieces that we need to figure out and test and optimize to kind of, uh, you know, see if there's, if after all of those efforts, we're going to have uh, a different result. So that's where we're in the middle of figuring, figuring this out. Well, I'll follow up with you and learn how that's going. <laughs> so I look if forward you to have any tips and tricks, you know, or best yeah. practices from, you know, just uh, on your organization or your client base, I would love to hear also ideas. Definitely. And if listeners comment away, um, okay. Let's talk about what we want to talk about today, which is, so you're a co-founder of Jolt. Jolt is a robotic automation platform that does all these amazing things that I, can you, can you give us an example of like, is this like, um, forgive the example because it's probably a competitor, but it's all I can think of off the top of my head, but is this like an Alexa, like the voice operation sort of automation piece of being able to talk to something that then responds and does something for you? So that's part of it, yes. Um, so let me just dial back a little bit of you know what we do because we are, uh, we're not a software company, we're a services company, right? So okay. we, in essence, we're a pure play automation services provider. And what that means is that all we do and we specialize in all of the automation tools that I mentioned earlier uh, in this uh, interview, which is you know robotic process automation, uh, intelligent document processing, process finding, uh, conversational AI, which is ex- uh, exactly what uh, the example that you're uh, giving me, Alexa. So all of these technologies tied together creates the hyper automation that organizations can leverage to drive their digital transformation. So as uh, just as a quick example, right? Robotic process automation was the it's um, the original technology that that drove this whole hyper automation movement, and in essence, is um, automating any sort of a mundane and high volume tasks that are extremely operational, repetitive, and it's just basically somebody. How do I rephrase that? Uh, a swivel chair activity, right? Things that say data entry. Say the finance department, you know, Martha in accounting have to deal with this number of invoices that she receives uh, on her email on a daily basis. And then she just have to grab the, the invoice, read the data, because a lot of those invoices are scanned documents. So they're not structured data, right? So mm-hmm. you can't have the, the system automatically identify the data. You have to have a person read the data and then enter that data into the enterprise system, uh, like an ERP, such as Oracle or SAP. Um, so all of in multi in most organizations will have multiple systems and multiple you know sales uh, systems 
resource planning systems, logistic systems. So most often the, the person that is doing all of this manual work will have to just extract the data from one uh, piece of content uh, and then navigate to multiple systems to manually enter all of the data relevant to the different fields uh, and then do that all day, every day. Right. So the goal with robotic process automation is to be able to actually remove all of this manual and repetitive work that you can actually code into an automation, say that we create a, a process definition document when we identify the diagram of the process. How does this process work and what are the different variations? Once we identify the step-by-step of how this process is done manually. We're able to use robotic process automation as well as many other technologies, like for example, intelligent document processing um, that can read unstructured data. So put that all together in essence, when the email lands in Martha's inbox, Martha no longer have to open the, the email, download the PDF, read the content, and then upload it to the different, uh, uh, the different data systems that she typically will have to populate. We will have a bot, you know, uh, automation will be triggered once an email enters the inbox. Um, an automation will download the PDF, will use intelligent document processing to read the content from the scan invoice, and then extract the data uh, and the bot will use um, intelligent document processing to extract the data and then uh, navigate to multiple different systems in their ERP or their CRM. And then it will go and populate all of the data fields that is required uh, using the, the content that intelligent document processing technologies extracted from the originally scanned invoice. So I hope that kind of makes sense of the, yeah. the automation portion of it. No, and that makes a ton we, of sense. Because I mean, we talk about automation all the time and repetitive tasks, but mm-hmm. what you're talking about is so much more complicated in the fact that the tasks are repetitive, but the data is not necessarily the same every single time. So exactly. you need a system to sort of pick up on the nuance of the data and how it shifts around to then be able to make it automated. So yeah, you definitely need, it's, you need someone to, or a system or a product or whatever, what exactly what you, you do, your, your company does, um, create the system for you so that it knows all that nuance and can, can automate it, um, in the long run. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that the, the, the Martha and accounting type of example, is just, just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that you can, so many opportunities that you can discover with automation, like initially marketing and the front office activities was not a, a very good target for automation because of the different, you know, the complexity levels and the different decision-making that is involved and the exception levels. But I have definitely been able to find a lot of marketing tasks that I used to do in a very operational mode uh, and being able to automate that. And I'll give you an example because I know that we have a lot of CRMs and marketing automation tools mm-hmm. that, that already provides the automation that you know the, our day-to-day operations requires. But there are things that you can really rely on the automation and the embedded automation features that these tools provide. Uh, one of those examples is, for example, the uh, um, contact or company records duplications. So HubSpot has this feature, which is very nice, that it automatically identifies potential records uh, that might be a duplicate, right? It could right. be company uh, names that are similar or the domain names that are similar, et cetera. 
but HubSpot can only identify them. They cannot actually take the take the action to actually uh, merge those um, the the records because they don't know if that's for sure uh, the same uh, contact or company record, right? So oftentimes we will have to spend you know manually reviewing every single potential duplicate and then click on merge those duplicates if it was a, a duplicated record. And so I knew that. If we if I can you know code an automation that has the logic filters that we as humans use to identify whether uh, a record is uh, is actually duplicate or not, then I can have the bot click on the merge button or or discard button uh, based on that logic, and I wouldn't have to spend an hour out of my day or my team's uh, time to do this repetitive work on a day to day basis or month to month basis, and that way we are able to optimize you know, the contacts that we have in, the, in our database and avoid or minimize the number of duplicates that we have in the system. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So let's talk about your company recently got bought, yes, exited, we were, what happened? Right, <laughs> so we, um, let me see the timeline here. By 2021, early 2021, uh, we became uh, m target. Um, in for one of the the largest uh, for the back then it was one of the largest intelligent automation services providers in uh, Roboyo, and uh, now that we are merged, we are the largest. <laughs> um, but yes, they were uh, they are um, a German-based um, organization that had a very significant clientele in in Europe, very, you know, flagship clients, and they had also a presence in the U.S., but uh, not as prominent and, and I guess, uh, uh, the, the brand positioning, the thought leadership ranking was not as high as uh, Jolt has. So we were kind of the ideal, um, you know, M&A target for them um, at the time to expand towards the Americas, because we also have a very sizable uh, team in Mexico. So we basically cover both North America and Latin America with Jolt. Got it. The story of how you made it happen is pretty fascinating because, like you said in your in your journey, that you were basically a one woman marketing show, and you started to get into started to give the game away. Shwen, we talked about how you did it. So let's let's go back there and let's revisit that for a second in terms of SEO. You really figured out that you didn't have the money to compete with these big brands in terms of getting found and building that clout. So you leaned in to SEO. How did you know to do that? Um, how did I know to do that? That's an uh, uh, interesting question. I don't know how did I, <laughs> that came to mind. I did uh, learn from my previous uh, organizations in marketing roles that um, organic content was going to be the biggest uh, inbound lead generation driver. And that's probably because when we onboarded HubSpot back then uh, in my previous organization, you know, I learned a lot about inbound marketing. And I learned because, and back then we were already seeing how the email performance was already dropping. So we were trying to figure out, you know, well, how do we generate leads if email is not going to be, you know, the main driver? And how do we generate leads if we don't have enough, you know, budget for ads? So, you know, that's... That's when I started to like learn about, oh, content is king and video is, is, is queen. <laughs> There's so much content that we can put out from the digital marketing perspective 
as well as webinars that are just you know zero dollar uh, in cost. All of these things that we don't need to incur in any sort of marketing specific expenses were going to be the main drivers for us back then as a bootstrap uh, bootstrap startup. And so you know I think Joel went from the bootstrap startup to a twenty million MA target in a span of two and a half years. And the way we did it, the main drivers for that hyper growth that we experienced was mainly a coordinated sales, marketing, and channel strategy with marketing, you know, playing a big role in our market positioning and the thought leadership that we established in the industry Um, and an industry that has become extremely competitive, you know, as automation technologies shift from emergent technologies to now must have almost like a commodity for every organization that needs to survive in the digital era. So, you know, going back to the whole thing of how I did it, it was just basically being very resourceful and and be kind of creative. And if you don't have certain resources, then what is the the best way that you can actually, you know, generate results by tapping into the lower cost, uh, you know, point of entry platforms like Canva, that's like what, $12 a month mm-hmm. uh, for design. Uh, videos, you know, I think I spend a thousand or two thousand for the, the Camtasia licensing and off I, I went, right? Like yeah. I was able to create all of the content by myself without relying on external agencies or, you know, hiring a significant team. Um, I mean, HubSpot was probably your biggest expense. Oh, yes, exactly. HubSpot and ZoomInfo were essentially our customer acquisition costs, plus my salary and the team salary. <laughs> That's yeah. basically it. And- yeah, that makes sense. That's amazing, though. And I love what you're saying about content. It sounds like that's a little bit of your of your sweet spot, though, of like where you say like it, you know, we talked about your history and your journey of of content and your ability to really understand the industry mm-hmm. to then be able to write about it in such a technical industry. I mean, I don't know. A lot of times marketers hire technical writers to be able to or product marketers or even engineers to write this kind of content. So for you in learning about this industry in such a technical way, where did that come from? Was that just hours and hours of research or was that just a happenstance of your history? Like where um, did you I learn say, to write technically? Right. So I think that my exposure to sales and from the mm. executive role perspective, I was able to be kind of in all different parts of the business and not just be in a silo marketing side of it. Uh, so by being in different, you know, um, meetings with the executives, with clients, with our sales reps, with our partners, I, you know, I think I was able to capture a lot of knowledge that many pure marketers would not capture in, you know, in their day-to-day. And I think that's one of the, the biggest differentiators as well um, in, in the profile that I have, which is, you know, I, I said it before, I can, I can, walk the walk, but, you know, I don't need to necessarily talk the talk. Uh, I can talk the talk, but I don't need to walk the walk because we have the technical experts and the delivery team to do that. But as long as I understand the challenges, the opportunities mm-hmm. and uh, the benefits of the solutions that we provide, I'm able to articulate it in layman terms that are oftentimes more powerful than the technical terms. I just want to sit here for a second. Challenges, opportunities, you said three and, things, challenges, opportunities, and, and the benefits that are. Yeah. Right. And then put it 
in layman's terms, I feel like we get so stuck sometimes on trying to sound smart. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Especially for, you know, for someone that some oftentimes struggle with English and I feel sometimes awkward, like if I'm not able to like express something articulately with in English. And so I, I spend a lot of the time in figuring out, okay, what's the best way that I can express myself without coming up too technical or awkward? And what is the main interest from the client side? Because I think that's one of the biggest value differentiators from uh, a good sales rep versus a bad sales rep. A good sales rep we're not going into a, a client conversation talking about how good our company is. A, a good sales rep will do the, the research in advance and understand who's he talking to, the company that he's talking to, the, you know, the, the challenges that the company is experiencing uh, at the company level or at the industry level, and being able to actually maybe, you know, um, find some articles out there specific to the company and, and pick up those specific terms that that industry or that company, you know, uses very often and go into that conversation with the same exact language that the customers are used to hearing and using on a daily day basis is going to really stand out from your average salesperson or your average marketing pitch. Right. So, yeah, I think that's, that's really uh, what uh, stands out from, you know, the, the, some of the good presentations that I've seen and some of the, the not so good presentations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> in terms of, I love what you said there about going out and really understanding your audience. Do you find, you know, do you find that everybody, I mean, it's a relatively new, new-ish industry, that category even that you're part of, or even potentially building, do you find that everybody from a customer standpoint is really speaking about it the same way? Or do you find that you really need to tailor the messaging client to client because they're still wrapping their heads around what it means for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> the analyst firms like the Gardeners, the Foresters, the, you know, the Everest, mm-hmm. they're always going to be coming up with the new terms for the industry to drive from the marketing perspective, right? So right. every week, every three weeks, we're, we're like, oh, it's no longer hyper automation. It's now <laughs> digital process automation. Oh, it's no longer digital process automation. It's now intelligent process automation. So yes, there's definitely a lot of... Uh, nuance uh, in in regards to the automation industry and how each vendor, partner, client will refer to different technologies. But at the end of the day, we just need to make sure that we're we're talking in the same language that the clients are used to. Uh, But not only on the technologies that we offer, but also just how do we relate it back to, um, you know, the client's goals, you know, the client's challenges. And how does our solution, you know, tie back and benefit uh, our clients so they can be the heroes in their organization. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious when you're saying all this and how forced and how all these different platforms are changing their the key the the definitions of what these things are, how that affects your SEO. Like yeah. if, the, if it's constantly changing, but SEO takes time, then how does mm-hmm. that affect your SEO strategy? Because that's really what you've built jolt on is is an seo strategy Mm -hmm. yeah and so you know the core technology names would not change what changes is the umbrella that ties the technologies together as you know kind of the, the digital transformation goal and so what we need to make sure is that 
we know not only focus on just driving one keyword across you know, our website uh, or different channels that we uh, have presence in, that we are driving you know, keywords across the spectrum, right? So we have the, the technology uh, names that that would not change. Like robotic process automation will forever be robotic process automation, RPA. And, you know, everything else, we will continue to add on, like, you know, the OCR, intelligent document processing used to be OCR, <laughs> you know, object character recognition, but it kind of uh, evolved to be a more, I guess, uh, a more cognitively uh, driven um, OCR, which is now called intelligent document processing. So as long as we have the most up-to-date names of each of the technologies and also have the multiple different technologies, uh, sorry, the keywords that, that packages all together as a theme, and make sure that it's kind of uh, embedded across different content pieces, not only in the headers or subheaders, but also you know in the, the, the body of the content and uh, in social media tags, everywhere impossible that we can kind of mix, mix it up. Uh, I think that's actually gonna be more helpful and opening up kind of the exposure of our, um, of our content to you know, the, the Google indexing box. So content is king. Did you say video is queen? Yes, <laughs> that's how I say it, but I don't know if that's an industry acceptable term. Oh, it's acceptable here. I'm curious, I have a lot of questions about the video piece. Are you doing a lot of video? Yes, absolutely. We, you know, and I just hired someone that is dedicated to just video editing. Um, so at Jolt, we, we produce a, a lot of demo videos as well as explainers. Uh because I think one of the things that oftentimes marketers will, will mistakenly put their focus on is like driving the branding and like who is Revoyo or you know why we are the best. Those videos probably are going to be found only when people are doing branded keyword uh, term searches, right? Like if people want to know about Revoyo, they're gonna just Google Revoyo and that's going to be a very small sample of the audience that we will get versus the content that is actually addressing a subject that people are interested in learning more about. So more on the educational angle, what I mentioned before, right? If mm -hmm. our content is catered more towards uh, the, the type of uh, um, you know, educational topics that people are interested in Googling, so like the non-branded keywords, right? That's one of the things that I think we did uh, very well at Jolt is that uh, if I go to our my um, Google search console, I can see that only 3% of our traffic is driven uh, by branded keywords, while the 97% was non-branded keywords. That means that a very large audience, is new audience, is continuing to find us when they're searching, you know, uh, to learn about what RPA is or what, you know, how does RPA help contact centers and sub subjects and, and, and topics that are very specific to their needs. And they're able to find that you know, find Jolt, whether in a demo video of how, you know, RPA uh, will work with, um, uh, with IVRs or other technologies to automate fully the end-to-end -end contact center experience. So they can actually see the video and then within the description box of the video, they can then convert and go to our website to request, you know, uh, a live demo or uh, a consultation with our, uh, one, of, one of our experts. So that's the way that I see video driving uh, traffic uh, on the website as well as off the website. I mean, that's huge link building opportunity when you talk about video and YouTube and. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're doing a lot of that, you know, the, the link building and backlinks, because as you know, email is, is, uh, 
is declining in the, in the performance, you know, we're trying to get creative. How do we actually, you know, kind of expand the exposure of the events that, that we're doing or the content that we're doing. So we're constantly figuring out ways to create backlinks in third-party sites. Like, you know, if I'm hosting an event on a landing page on a website about an event, I not, not only want to have that as the only page where people can find the event, I will go and to Eventbrite and I'll create an event there and link it back to the website. I'll go to a meetup and I'll create a meetup there and I'll link it back to the website. I'll go to LinkedIn events and I'll create an event there and link yeah. back to the website. So as many other third-party channels that I can create a backlink towards the main one, that I think it's 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 going to be a differentiator for folks that are struggling with you know getting getting their content and their events out there. That's so smart. Um, all right, last question for you because we um, could talk about this all day, but I think this is really helpful, right. and I think this gives people just enough to get started. And then maybe we have like a round two. Um, in terms of, we talked about writing content, we talked about video content, we talked about backlinks, consistency. I feel like this is such a hot topic right now in terms of how often you do things. You said in early on in our conversation, weekly. What what are you doing weekly? Are you doing it weekly? Did yeah, I get it right? Not, right, yes. So we used to do that weekly at Jolt. We're also ramping it up uh, on the Raboyo side. So we're doing weekly blogs. And we're also releasing or trying to release at least uh, every week a demo video, um, as well as any other content that gets created because we have so many events regionally as well that there's so many, you know, event landing pages that gets created, webinars or in-person events. Uh, you know, there's also um, different collateral like infographics and eBooks that will be downloadable gated content. And those are the ones that, you know, at the end of the day, it's gonna generate the most amount of leads. Like a lot of work and you were one woman show. So you started off this journey as just you. Mm. Now, how, how big's your team? Well, I have a fantastic team uh, in Mexico, uh, great content creators that helps across the spectrum, right? So when I hire someone, I don't necessarily want to just kind of put them in a box and just do one single thing. I would like to give them the opportunity also to be you know, exposed to many different aspects of the marketing that we do here. So, you know, I would like the, everybody to know how can you post, uh, you know, a landing page. Originally, we had our, our Jolt website is built in HubSpot, so everything was integrated. Now the Roboyo website uh, is in WordPress. So, you know, we have to kind of integrate the forms to the website. So, you know, we needed to also teach the team. Now, you know how to create a landing page in HubSpot, how to create an email, how to create social posts, and, and you know, how to create contact lists, reports, et cetera. Now, you know, we need to learn how to create the same landing pages in WordPress, and every single one of my team members should know how to do that. Every single, every single one of them should also know how to, you know, upload videos to YouTube, how to, you know, create client presentations, you know, how to, you know, how does our sales cycle work? All, every kind of like detail, uh, business relevant information, I would like them to be exposed to. So they're not just the, the you know, design team, right? right. Um, but we also have now, uh, after our merger with Raboyo, they have a very big team uh, in, uh, in Europe as well. So we have now dedicated people that does uh, SEO, that does uh, website maintenance, that does uh, campaign management, event management, uh, and they also work with a, a number of external uh, agencies. So, you know, our cap of capacity really ramped up. Yeah. <laughs> time, you know, there's a lot of work to, to be done. 
uh, because uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but you know, Revoyo went through the, the rebranding and then we have to kind of uh, build up the domain authority with new content um, that we need to migrate from, from Jolt and at the same time create uh, you know, all of the, the fresh content on the Revoyo branding. So there's definitely a lot to do uh, this year and next to get to the goals that we have, which is becoming the, you know, the number one organic search result for our target keywords on the Revoyo branding. This is an unbelievable story, Schwann, of how you were able to do this from bootstrapping to being a one-woman show to using SEO and content from blogs to video and really building your brand on the back of, of SEO is, is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Uh, before we go, I do have, because you're more than a marketer, mm-hmm. but I know this because you have fur babies and they make you more than a marketer. Um, I have three questions for you to just allow people to get to know you a bit better. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. First question for you. Have you picked up any new hobbies in the last two, two and a half years of COVID that, uh, that you didn't have before, or that maybe you dug into a bit more? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I'm a very outdoorsy person. You know, I, when I first moved to the U S I lived in Lake Tahoe. So Uh a lot of exposure to the outdoors, the mountains. And, uh, you know, my boyfriend convinced me to start mountain biking during COVID. (gasps) (laughs) So that was one of the the hobbies that I picked up. And I must say it is, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite a journey to get started and actually becoming like an intermediate rider after a year and a half of doing it. Um, and also snowboarding, we picked it up, um, together with my boyfriend, um, because I initially was doing skiing. And so in, since he didn't have experience in skiing or snowboarding, I, you know, we just decided to get into snowboarding together and that was uh, a wonderful experience. And now that I live in Colorado, I can continue to do, you know, both of these hobbies. (laughs) And yeah, so I just need to find time to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes to that. You're a little busy right now with all of the, of the travel, you know, now the world has opened back up and you're traveling, speaking, of traveling, Schwen. Schwen, it was yeah. so good to have you on. Thank you for joining me and for sharing your journey. I, wow, what a story. Thank you so much for having me. I hope my story is, is going to be an interesting one for your audience. I definitely, definitely will be. <laughs> Keywords across a spectrum. Ah, that just really sits with me. I just loved how Schwinn put it that way. Messaging keywords and keeping up to date on the industry. It's a tall order to stay on top of the ever-changing world of not only the technology, but how people are searching for it and what they're looking for. Schwinn said it, content, 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 content. Content is king. Video is queen. And if you could do both, man, man, what a royal flush there. Let's go. Am I right? Like I, I'm inspired. I'm excited. I, I'm a big believer in SEO, as you know, being a digital marketing agency, uh, we heavily rely on SEO for our clients to help them build that strategy, to create that momentum for them. Um, it's very unusual. You come across somebody who's done it on their own, uh, to the extent that Schwinn does. And it's just absolutely inspiring. Absolutely inspiring. Schwinn, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Schwinn and the company she's working for, Raboyo, definitely find her on LinkedIn, check her out, hang out, get to know her. 
ask her further questions to understand how she magically made this thing happen. Was it magic? It was a ton of, ton, a ton, a ton of work. And I'm sure she'd be happy to share more about how she made it happen. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. If you found this conversation with Schwinn helpful, please like, subscribe, and share. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our agency that accelerates the mission of cybersecurity vendors via SEO, digital ads, and analytics. Hosted by me, Carrie Gar, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing. Music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketing.com to apply.